0: sharp,
1: pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
2: Congress has given the president this authority. In 1976, Congress passed a law that gave the president the ability to declare a national emergency.
3: But I think the president is doing an incredible
4: job now. I don't know that he needs to sell anything to anybody. I think he just needs to keep doing what he's doing.
1: And now, Stacy Washington.
5: Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. I am actually home away from home because I'm with my friends at Bot Radio in St. Louis. We're actually in Brentwood. And they're loaning me their studio because we have no power at my house. So... At the last minute, and I was just sitting at home, power flickers goes out, and then all of a sudden I'm without power, which means no Comrex, no voice processor, no mixer, no cameras, no Wi-Fi, and definitely no internet. You know, we have a lot of internet in my house, so we can accommodate the speeds. And so I thought to myself, I was like, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? I have to have my show today because guess who's coming on? first hour, we have Rona McDaniel. She is the chairwoman of the RNC. She's going to join us to talk about Women's History Month being the longest serving women, woman as an RNC chair and Beto O'Rourke, um, whose real name is Robert. I don't know why we keep calling him Beto. And 2020. So she's going to join us in the next segment. And then we're going to talk about the Obama administration failing at every level of government on the fentanyl crisis, which is something that it's it's such a travesty and it's really saddening to hear And learn what this deep dive investigation has uncovered, which is that they knew early on when there were just, you know, a few thousand deaths and they were really located in one area that the fentanyl was a problem, but they left it lie and it was able to fester and grow and really... Metastasize all over the country. So within a couple of years of the initial outbreak of deaths from it, we were now looking at 28,000 deaths in a year. And now we're at around 75,000 deaths a year from fentanyl overdoses. And this is a very potent, deadly drug that should not even be in our country, not laced into heroin and things like we're finding it now. So we'll talk about that in the third segment. And, of course, we'll take your calls. Um, What what I want to do right now is just... um, I want to get into the encouragement and and today also one more thing. We're going to discuss how the U.S. has more millionaires than Sweden has people. And that's a huge story for us as a country because it's an untold story of President Trump's success. President Trump has actually ushered in through tax cuts and deregulation this really fertile ground for businesses to grow and to create jobs. But because of the mainstream media malpractice and the lies surrounding what the president is doing and the impact that it's having, what we're seeing is a lot of Americans don't believe it. Um, I actually had someone tell me the other day, well, we're, I'm, I'm not really sure if those jobs are actually being created. I know the tax cuts have been given. I know businesses have the opportunity to create more jobs, but I don't actually know if I believe they're creating those jobs. Well, if you look at the jobs reports month after month after month, 166,000, 303,000, New jobs per month. And the number of openings in the country, 7.1 million openings. A record amount of openings, which is encouraging Democrats to say, you know what we really need to do? We really need to just let all the illegals in because they need to fill all those empty sp- empty slots. Record low unemployment for every demographic. But people don't know about it because if you're watching mainstream media, you are getting this story um, that things really aren't that great. That things are actually bad. And... Look, I'm, I am not a cheerleader for President Trump, but I am a real devotee of the truth. And even when the truth doesn't favor my viewpoint, I'm still going to have to have allegiance to that as opposed to uh, just saying, well, you know, um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't agree with that because it doesn't agree with what I I believe in. And, you know, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like I. It's a really weak position to come from that if what is true doesn't agree with what you believe, then you're just not going to believe it anymore. Um, So I want to go into the encouragement right now. And so the, the, you know, I I, sometimes I get really, I get a little just it's upsetting and it can be very discouraging Um, and then I think about just, just take a step back. What about Jesus? (laughs) You know what I mean? So you're getting frustrated. You're looking at the news. You're thinking this is going wrong. That's going wrong. I don't like this. I don't like that. What about Jesus? Let's just stop for a second and talk about Jesus. How about let's just take our mind and our focus off of what we can see, what we can feel, what we can hear, what we're looking at and put our eyes and our focus on him jesus let's just who is he what is he what 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 are some of his attributes jesus is enduringly strong entirely sincere eternally steadfast immortally gracious imperially powerful impartially merciful god's son the sinner's savior my savior um he is the actual ransom for the captives his blood sets us free he's the breath of life the centerpiece of civilization he is unique, unparalleled, unprecedented, undisputed, undefiled, unsurpassed, unshakable. He is lofty, holy, priceless, precious, beautiful, supreme, and so many more things. The miracle of the ages, our forgiver, creator. He's God. He's our restorer. He's our shelter, our comfort our reconciler, our redeemer, our healer, our helper, our second chance, our slim chance, our only chance, and he's our deliverer. And so when you get done considering and how can we ever completely consider him, it completely reorients our focus and how we feel about what's going on. And when I, when I do that, when I stop and I say, wait a minute, I'm I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling like I just because, I, you know, this morning was one of those situations where I was just looking at the news and seeing how many Republicans are defecting away from the president to say that the national emergency isn't a national emergency. And it's people I like, like Senator Mike Lee. You know, he's been on the program before. Fantastic man. Awesome writer. Uh, amazing individual. He knows the Constitution. But I disagree with him on this. And, and so, you know, I don't like disagreeing with Senator Mike Lee, but I can't be with him if he's not going to be with the president on immigration. And. The warnings that have gone out, and we're, we're going to get to that as well, um, the president has actually sent Vice President Pence over to Capitol Hill to chat with the senators and to kind of let them know, look, you know, you can do whatever you want. You're free to do and vote as you see fit, whatever you feel like your constituents want you to do. But understand that if you go against the president on immigration, first of all, the president's going to veto. If they go against him, he's going to veto it. That's first of all. They don't have enough senators to Uh, You know, veto proof majority, in other words, override the the veto that the president is going to do. So this is an exercise in futility, but it does help those of us who are going to be in the voter booth, the (laughs) voter booth, in, in in casting our ballots in 2020. How does it help us? Well, it lets us know who actually really, truly believes in American sovereignty, Which of these senators actually truly believe that we are a sovereign nation and that our borders are actually real, that they mean something, and that American citizens come before illegal aliens, potential immigrants, and citizens of other countries? So this is very informative for us. So it's frustrating. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of taxpayer dollars. It is a complete abdication of their duty to answer the promises they made on the campaign trail. But the answer to that is the voter booth. It's what you do in 2020 as a voter when you say, this isn't good for me. I'm, I'm not going to vote for someone who's going to go against the president on immigration. And, and I understand that there are concerns about the, you know, the, the the issues surrounding the national emergency. But guess what else there is? There, and this is super important. This, this is where the rubber meets the road. Where were these senators When President Obama was declaring national emergencies and President Bush and many of these senators have been here multiple presidential terms. So they have a track record of sitting silently by with their hands folded whenever there's a national emergency declaration. So that brings me to this uh, audio from the own our own junior senator from the state of Missouri, the great state of Missouri, Senator Josh Hawley. He says he'll take to the Senate floor to defend President Trump. It's number one.
2: Well, look, first of all, we have a crisis at the border, Brian, and and it's clear to anybody who's looked at the situation. Congress has heard testimony on this over and over. We have a smuggling crisis. We have a humanitarian crisis. We have a drug crisis. We have a law enforcement crisis, number one. Number two, Congress has given the president this authority. In 1976, Congress passed a law that gave the president the ability to declare a national emergency. So it's a pretty simple question. Is this an emergency or not? Because Congress has said he can declare declare a national emergency. This clearly is an emergency. That's why I'll be voting no against the Democrats and yes with the president. You know, I can't speak for for other senators, but uh, I, I know there are some who think that this is... I think some people don't understand actually the situation. Some people think that the president is saying that he has some inherent authority to do this. They don't realize that Congress has actually passed a law that has been invoked, I think it's 56 or 58 times by other presidents. I mean, there's lots of precedent here. It's been invoked for stuff like overseas elections. I mean, our own national security on our own border is definitely a national emergency. If that isn't, I don't know what is.
5: And so, again, we're talking about all of the people who are listening to this program, huge audience here, a lot of people listening to this show. And, and my question to you is, if you voted for your senator the last go-round, so not in 2016, the ones who were up for re-election were not elected in 2016 because they served six-year terms. When you voted for your senator then, and he was a Republican, the, the Democrats are not a part of this conversation because they're for open borders and lawlessness and killing of Americans Uh but if you're someone who voted for a Republican senator who's up for re-election in 2020, is their decision to vote against the president on the national emergency a surprise to you? Is this something that you're upset about? Is this something that you want to see something done about? If so, then the time for you to make that decision is once they're done voting and you see what they voted, you just make a note of it um, and the easiest way to do it, obviously, you can put it on a sheet of paper. You can put it on a planner. If you have a multi-year planner, you can go through uh, and and do that on your your planner uh, for, like, 2020 if you have that going on. But if you have an electronic calendar, as most of us do on our phones, you just go forward to 2020, and maybe you make yourself a note or a reminder that will kind of fire at a certain point the day before the election, the week before the election, whenever you get your kind of you get a sample ballot in the mail, we do here in Missouri, they send us a sample ballot and you can look at it and you can say, I'm I'm, you know, I, I'm voting with the sample but like you can actually mark it out. I I actually didn't really start using it effectively until just recently. Our daughter's old enough to vote now, the oldest, daughter the first, and she was like, Mom, some of these issues like I haven't had time to look them up. She was like, "Sorry." I was like, "Don't apologize. That's a typical situation to find yourself in because there are a lot of initiatives on here." Fortunately, um, a couple of women in my book club are extremely proactive, and they got together and we actually went over the sample ballot at book club. And then after that, people were kind of going back and forth in in a text message group talking about how there's um there's a you know some disagreement on some of the ballot issues and so what we did was we just we it was pretty simple we just marked it out and so for some of them even even though not all of us agreed completely on some of them we 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 had pretty much some you know it was it was a pretty similar mindset but we filled out the sample ballot then i showed her i said here's my sample ballot um and here's what i filled in and she asked me some questions about the different issues she said well the wording on this says this you're voting yes. And the wording on this one says this and you're voting no. And I explained to her what, I, you know, what my thoughts on it were. And I said, you have to make up your own mind because you're an adult now. You're you vote for yourself. Um, and so she took her sample ballot in that she filled out and she voted. And I use mine and, and it was a good cheat sheet because we just had so many amendments and ballot initiatives that were on that in 2016's uh, fall election. But if you don't have your sample ballot obviously you cannot have your sample ballot for 2020 you can fill out the information that you need to um and put it in a reminder for yourself make a note that you know is on your phone um you can put it on your stick at board i have a i have a cork board that i use at home for reminders for some stuff whatever you have to do and i know this is like i'm talking about 2020 today you probably have a million things you have to do today let alone thinking about 2020 But we can't give people a pass. We've been doing that, and it's not working for us as Americans, as voters, as taxpayers, as people who respect our national sovereignty, our Constitution, and our Bill of Rights. If we want different, we gotta act different. We have to vote different. So I'm encouraging you and imploring you to make a note of it if your senator, one of them, is up for reelection in 2020. Make a note of how they vote on this issue. It was a flagship issue for the president for a reason. It struck a chord with Americans for a reason. And every time I think about it, I'm reminded of the women who've come on this program, Angel Moms, and I'm voting for myself and I'm voting for them. All right, when we get back, we're going to have Rona McDaniel.
0: In a move most Christians probably never expected to see, Walmart has created and is promoting a Facebook video ad that normalizes homosexual relationships. And they need to hear from you. The ad is part of a campaign released on Valentine's Day called Love is in the Aisle, a dating show at Walmart. Episode two features Pat and Andy, two homosexual men on a blind date as they meet at the store and shop together and discover whether or not they're compatible. Please sign the American Family Association petition to Walmart asking them to remove this pro-homosexual video and remain neutral on controversial issues. It's clear that Walmart is on the path to elevating homosexual relationships to the same level as the male-female model of marriage. Sam Walton must be turning over in his grave. Let Walmart hear from their Christian customers. We'll present the petition at corporate headquarters March 20th. Please sign our Walmart petition today at afa.net. That's afa.net.
6: Hi, I'm Crawford Luritz with a Legacy Moment. One evening, Karen and I had dinner with a couple who started a church years ago. Our hearts were warmed and encouraged as they shared what God has done. When they started the church, they had very little to work with except the vision God had placed on their hearts. I wish you could have been there as they rejoiced around the table. Tears filled our eyes while they told stories of sweet victories and the faithfulness of God in sustaining their ministry. Listen to Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45. So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass." I think in these three verses, there are three certainties to grasp as we pursue the will of God. Number one, God will provide for us. It may seem dark and we may be challenged, but God definitely will provide for us. Number two, God will give us rest in the midst of our work. He will give us peace in the midst of our turmoil. We can hold on to that certainty. Then thirdly, God will keep his promises. You can trust him. Not one of his promises will fail. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. We serve an unfailing God. We can trust him each step of the way. Whether you're conquering the promised land of planting a church or changing yet another diaper, don't quit. Hang in there long enough to reap the reward.
0: Thanks, Crawford, and thank you for listening to today's Legacy Moment, a production of Moody Radio.
1: This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
5: Thank you for being here today on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It is my pleasure to welcome for the first time on the program and hopefully of the first of many times, the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, Rona McDaniel. Rona, thank you for your time today.
4: Thanks for having me, Stacey.
5: So I've seen you on television so many times doing such a fantastic job in your role as chairwoman of the RNC. And so it's a pleasure to have you on to talk to you directly about something that's really it's it's a metamorphosis that you've undergone, which is going from being the CEO of your household to serving as the longest serving woman as RNC chair of the Republican National Committee. And this is not an easy job. And you have a pretty interesting boss, a guy who some people feel is kind of difficult. I I kind of think he's fun. What has it been like for you doing this role?
4: Well, uh, so I just wrote an op-ed about this, and, yeah, I was a stay-at-home mom. I have two children, and taking on this role was uh, something that was a family decision. It was something my husband and kids were supportive of, but it's 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 a challenge. I love it, but there are days where I'm in the carpool lane and taking my son to school, and I'll get a call from the president, and... <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's a little surreal, uh, but we've raised the most money in history at the Republican Party since I've been chair. Uh, we had historic gains in the Senate, and I want to make sure we reelect this president because he is championing uh, better wages, more jobs, uh, and delivering on those things for our country. And, and I think that's vitally important, and if I can do my part to help, I'm happy to do it.
5: Well I think you're doing a huge thing to help. I mean raising that amount of money, the most ever, setting records in that area. It really speaks to the ability for women and and I I love this story. I think it's a success story that American women can do exactly what you described. You can be the chairwoman of the RNC, still do carpool line, take calls from the president, raise the most money ever and have a very satisfying and fulfilling life that you've created for yourself because you live in a country where freedom and liberty abound and women are able to create their own work situations and re- and work and home realities. It's something that's unique to our country, I feel.
4: It is, and I think, uh, you know, I, it's certainly we've got a lot of women who work at the RNC and when I was Michigan GOP chair, same thing. And having that flexibility and, be, and being open to... Uh, different family circumstances is something that uh, I think helps uh, women be productive in the workforce, and I have a president uh, who supports me in this role, and it's it's helped make me more successful. I also have a family that's incredibly supportive and a husband who's my teammate who says, let's go get it done, and we're tackling uh, taking care of our kids, and both of us with very professional jobs at the same time. And, uh I think it makes a difference, but it's not always easy. I'm not going to say it's always perfect, and we probably eat more fast food than I'd like, but uh, we're doing the best we can.
5: Well, you know what? Sometimes the fast food is a necessary evil, but what we're talking about here is a very active lifestyle that I don't think the kids will remember that part. I think they're going to remember the phone calls uh, as they're getting in the car and picked up from school from President Trump probably more than that.
4: (laughs) Yeah, my son, the last time the president called, it went to my Bluetooth, and my son kept saying, can I say hi? Can I say hi? I'm like, no, stay quiet. So uh, I got, I figured out how to get him off Bluetooth. But, you know, (laughs) I will say it's such an exciting role and it's so important. And when I wrote this article, part of the, we submitted this article, part of it said, you know, we need to say, uh, you know, why not, instead of saying why not, why, you know, we can't do this, we need to say, why can't we do this? And, we need to jump into these roles, because women do have a very valuable voice to add to the conversation. And we're lucky, I'm lucky that I have a president who said, I'm going to bring this stay-home mom from Michigan to come run the party. I think it was a real uh, maverick choice, uh, and we work really well together, and we're breaking records. And, I, uh, and I'm pleased to be only the second woman. I hope there's many more women to follow me in this role. Well, you know,
5: Chairwoman McDaniel, one of the things that I found really fascinating about your your op-ed, which is in Today Parenting, and I'll put the link up on Facebook and on our and on my Twitter feed so people can check it out. It's a great piece. I really enjoyed it. One of the quotes from the piece you say the point is why is that we cannot allow the why nots to stand in the way of why not me. And you discuss all of the different ways that women are able to branch out and do really whatever their their career or timeline or their work goals offer them. They're able to accept these opportunities and that you were selected to run the RNC in your 40s. Um, so it's it's not I, – I often tell women who are in their 20s or 30s who are you – know, like they've got their first baby and they're thinking of stepping back from their career – do it. Step back from your career. You have so many years later to re-engage with it, job share, or do what you're doing, which you have a huge job, but you're also still picking up the
4: kids. Absolutely. And it's it's a team effort. You've got to schedule things more. But when I'm working, when I'm on the road, I am so productive because when I'm home, I want to be a mom and I want to do homework. And I want to, I want to go to my daughter's tennis practice after this radio show. So you're balancing it all and fitting it in. But I think having that balance um, makes me more effective with my time and know that I have to be on when I have that time to work and on when I'm with my kids and with my family. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of women deal with that. But I will tell you, I was a stay-at-home mom in my 20s. I, I, was a, I was a working mom then. I just wasn't getting paid for it. And it was such a valuable part of my life. And I think we should celebrate women in whatever role they're taking and help champion them and lift them up. And I know I have so many women in my life that support me. uh, And uh, I hope that I can be that same support for other women as I encounter them in their careers and in their futures as they're helping to change this country.
5: So as we close out, because I know you do have a a limited amount of time for us today, and we're so appreciative of that. I want to give you a chance to just expound on 2020, which you're, you're so adept at doing this. Is there anything you think that our audience really needs to kind of focus on as we're gearing up? We're already in campaign season, but as we move closer and closer to the big moment where the Democrats will finally pick some nincompoop from out of their group and that person will go up against our guy, President Trump.
4: I would say engage now. Uh, we have a GOP.com website to volunteer and we, we live in the best country on Earth. We're so blessed to live in this nation with the freedoms that we enjoy. But what the Democrats are proposing right now would radically shift the America that we know and love. And their solution to every problem is more government, which means the reins of control will be in the hands of politicians like the Democrats. And Republicans stand for individual liberty. We don't believe in higher taxes. We believe in the innovation and the American street spirit and the American dream that has made our country great. And we are at a turning point for our country. We have to keep President Trump in office because the Democrats are going to take us down a socialist path where we will not even recognize our country as the country the founders uh, so uh, fought for and, and gave to us. So we have to be all in, engage, volunteer, start talking to people now, educate them on socialism and educate them on why we need to keep Republicans in the majority.
5: Fantastic. You know, I I want to say thanks again and I hope to speak to you again soon. Enjoy your afternoon with the kiddos. Um and thank you for really <laughs> representing like you, a lot of women are looking at you right now and they're saying, "Wow, I I I think I can do that too." And that's fantastic.
7: Oh. Well, oh, thank you
5: so
4: much. Thanks for having me, Stacey. I really appreciate it.
5: All right. Hope to talk to you again soon. Chairwoman Rona McDaniel of the Republican National Committee. Um, set in records while she's still taking care of her kids. I love that. Um, and I wanna I wanna kind of go into We have so much to get into today, and we have this fantastic story about a success for us as Americans. The U.S. now having more millionaires than Sweden has people, and I'm going to say, because it's not like we're bragging or anything, but it's the truth. It's totally the truth. But before we get to that, I need to talk about a victory that we have here at American Family Radio. I'm seeing this on Twitter right now, and. I want you guys to know I had this adventure today. When my power went out, it wasn't like I was able to, like, figure out immediately. It was – I just – I said a little prayer. I was like, Lord, please help me. And he did, of course, because I'm able to still be broadcasting right now. And I didn't want to miss this opportunity to speak to Rona McDaniel today. But I also um, – I had to get here. You, and you know what it's like when, you're, when your power is out. Like, nothing works. I mean, obviously, you could open and close doors, but nothing else works. So, I had to get here. And so, I missed this. But this is fantastic One Day at a Time is trending on Twitter because Netflix has canceled it. Now, One Day at a Time, Twitter moment, it says it's not coming back for a fourth season. It's been canceled by Netflix after three seasons. They confirmed um, that avid fans have called for renewal, and they say the choice did not come easily. Reports also say Sony will shop the series around in other places, and... They say not enough people watch to justify um, another season on that. So, yeah, I'm glad to see it go. Um, it's It's over. Three seasons? Goodbye. So um, now I want to get into the story about um, the millionaires more more in America than Sweden has people. And one of my favorite quotes from from someone who's a world leader is when President Putin of Russia said that it's not unusual for you to be an American and be a millionaire. He said, America has a lot of millionaires. (laughs) So in other words, it's not unexpected. If you meet someone from America and they're a millionaire in his mind, it's not even that big of an accomplishment. (laughs) I don't know if I agree with that, because I'm not a millionaire. If it's that common, why am I not one? I guess that's another show. But apparently, we have a lot more of them than we've had before. So the number of wealthy households in the U.S. has reached a new high last year, roughly equivalent to the entire population of Sweden or Portugal. (laughs) We have more than 10.2 million households that have a net worth of $1 to $5 not including the value of their primary residence. So I was actually wondering that when I saw the headline. Are they including the value of real estate? Because... If you buy your house and you hold on to it for 20, 25, or 30 years, you can easily see that value, what you've paid into it, triple or quadruple, depending on where it is and you know, market conditions, et cetera, um, and also demand. Uh, but they're not including that. They're not including the value of your primary residence. So that number, $10.2 million, is up by 2.5% from 2017. Even as the ranks of the mass affluent grew, the pace slowed because of weakening global economic growth. And a contentious US political environment. So it turns out when we have this kind of gridlock and dysfunction in DC, it impacts wealth attainment. Interesting uh, to consider that as well. So, ultra high net worth households, those with assets between 5 million and 25 million, increased by 3.7% to about 1.4 million in number, while those in excess of 25 million grew by about 0.6% to 173,000. So, let's focus on that for a second. There's 1.4 million households in America that have between 5 million and 25 million in net worth. And there are about 173,000 households in America that have a net worth in excess of 25 million. Now, I'm not one of those people who covets the wealth or thinks that wealth makes you happier. But it's an interesting phenomenon that we have so many people in this country who have attained that level. Um, The number of Americans in the wealthiest category has more than doubled since the Great Recession, even as the rate of increase has eased. So some of the slowing in the wealth creation has to be expected, due in part to softening equity markets after almost a decade of very strong returns. And this is coupled with the early effects of the tax reform on affluent households. That said, the growth rate of wealthy households continues to outpace middle class growth rates. Now, I want to remind you of things that I've learned from the, the most intelligent man in America, Thomas Sowell. In his book, Basic Economics, he talks about the fluidity of the different stratas of wealth in this country. That um, if you look at any 10 year period, you see people traveling in and out of um, poverty, in and out of working class, in and out of upper and middle class, and then, of course, in and out of the uber wealthy 1% type folks. And that a person who is in the 1% in one decade might be in a completely different income strata in the next decade and probably was in the preceding decade. So it's very fluid in America, meaning anyone can achieve any one of those wealth levels. It's a matter of you saying, I want to do something different and then doing it. Um, And of course, from the biblical perspective, the goal is not to attain wealth. The goal is not to be one of these millionaires or 25 millionaires. The goal is to seek God first, Put him first and he adds everything else to you. And I know this is true, not just from the biblical perspective of reading it in the Bible, but when I've sat and listened to people who are obviously multimillionaires like the, the founder of Hobby Lobby, Steve Green, I've heard him speak twice and both times the thing that he discusses is not how to create wealth, how to grow a company, how to create products that people love and want to buy and are rabbit about like his store Hobby Lobby because I, I actually lose it in there. I go in there. I have to write a list and I have to give myself a time limit because I just get out of control and I start buying the scripture canvases and then I get in the pillow section and then I'm in the lamp section. I don't need any lamps, but I'm in the section anyway. So he's got a store that literally makes people want to buy stuff that they don't need. How's he doing that? Well, it's not because he's sitting around saying, how can we make people buy stuff they don't need? No, it's because every step of the way, as a business owner, a husband, a father, he has put God first. And when you listen to him talk about what he's doing, like his work, creating and standing up the Museum of the Bible and other things that they do around the world, the work that they do in China to help Christians maintain their faith and to grow Christianity and in, in places where, you know, China's communist. They don't want Christianity there. But Steve Green is instrumental him and his family in making sure that bibles are there and that chinese people have access to materials so that they can learn more about god and maintain their faith when he talks about that stuff that's when you hear the passion he's driven about hobby lobby of course he's he's driven he loves his business but he loves god more he loves god the most and so if we want to achieve outsized insane levels of success at anything we have to know the order of things so you put god first you have your family, and then you have your community and your work. And if you order it up the way it's supposed to be, God will bless it and expand it. And so, you know, I'm not particularly interested in becoming a millionaire. It's not like one of my you know top 10 goals. It'd be fantastic. I would never turn it down. But it's not something that I'm working towards particularly. But I am, hopefully, God is finding me in this area to be sincere working on growing in the Lord and learning more about him and becoming closer to him and letting everything else fall into place after that. So, uh, next segment we will, um, and you know, what's funny. So I'm not in my studio, so I have no idea. And I'm supposed to have the call line. Like if someone says, what's the call line to me, what I'll do is I'll rattle it off with no, no big deal. But because I'm on the show somewhere else and everything's out. Yeah. I'm, I can't even think of what the call lines are. Uh, What what is going on with me right now? I know what they are. It's 866 963 2037. (laughs) 866 963 2037. If you want to call in and join the show, we'll be right back with more. Stacy on the right in just a minute. What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon
6: Moment. One of the toughest jobs in football is to be an offensive lineman, and nobody did that job better than Hall of Famer John Hanna. Some offensive guards excel at pass protection, shielding the quarterback from sacks. Others thrive at run blocking, opening up rushing lanes for their halfback. John Hanna could do both. Despite playing at the unsung position of offensive guard, his toughness and work ethic was the stuff of legend, and he received his recognition. A 1981 cover of Sports Illustrated was adorned with nothing but a picture of his face behind a face mask and the words, the best offensive lineman of all time. John Hanna's dedication and tenacity was nothing if not uncommon.
5: Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com.
1: Miki Addison.
8: My challenge to you was to evangelize your children and to disciple your children and to give them the truth. Because if you don't do that, then we have a culture that's waiting in the wings to disciple your kids and to make converts. And so I really believe and I expect the Lord to really set some people free today.
1: The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Just as David's mighty man, Benaiah, chased down a lion into a pit on a snowy day... Lion Chasers champions uncommon men and women of faith who are unafraid to stand up and speak truth to power in these dark and evil days. Never before has there been such a need for people of faith to draw a line in the sand with a sword of truth. Lion Chasers, the intersection of faith and public policy with Lonnie Poindexter. Weekday mornings at 10 Central on Urban Family Talk. Fox on Faith with Lauren Green.
8: This September will mark the 70th anniversary of an event that catapulted Evangelist Billy Graham to virtual stardom overnight. So says Will Graham, his grandson. He would say 49 was a watershed moment for him and uh, it changed his life and and his ministry forever. Legend has it that during Graham's 1949 Los Angeles Christian Crusade tent meetings, the newspaper mogul William Randolph Hearst jotted down two words, puff Graham, meaning give him lots of good press. Now all the media showed up in 1949 and that's what made Made my grandfather famous across the country and really started going around the world after that will also a pastor recounts many personal stories about his famous grandfather in his book redeemed devotions for the longing soul will says one of his greatest honors was playing daddy bill as he calls him in the movie unbroken path to redemption which tells the story of a war hero coming to faith at a billy graham tent meeting in 1949 for more check out the billy graham special on fox nation for fox on faith lauren green fox news
1: you can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
3: The fentanyl crisis is the worst drug epidemic in American history ever. Uh, between 2013 and 2017, more than 67,000 people died from fentanyl-related overdoses. And to put that in context, that is more people than military personnel killed in the Vietnam, the Iraq and the Afghanistan wars combined. And so my colleagues and I wanted to figure out how did we get here, how did this happen? And what we found was a failure at every level of government uh, during the Obama administration. We went back and looked and found ground zero was in Rhode Island in 2013, when there was a fentanyl outbreak. And people were surprised there because fentanyl is a drug that's usually used in hospitals for cancer and for surgery, and here it was showing up on the street. And they notified the Centers for Disease Control, and the CDC put out an alert. And then it started to spread through New England, uh, Mm -hmm. New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Florida, West Virginia, Ohio, and the Drug Enforcement Administration put out a warning. Mm -hmm. Alarm bells were going out, but basically there was not a sort of a sense of urgency at the highest levels of government. uh,
5: So you're listening to uh, Sari Horitz, and she is one of the people who did this research into what happened. Like, why didn't the United States, uh, the government, the CDC, um, any of the agencies that are tasked with kind of tracking these kinds of things and monitoring our populace, Why didn't they catch the fentanyl outbreak when it was in its infancy? Why was it allowed to fester and grow and become malignant and and explode into this enormous death toll for Americans? And honestly, it's something that needs to be discussed. And I know people get mad every time I say what I'm about to say. People, well, he's not president anymore, and you're always criticizing him, and you hate yourself. So go ahead and email me if you feel like you need to. If it'll make you feel better, I'm happy to be of service. But what was President Obama doing? He was on late night television, slow jamming the news. He was high fiving uh, with Common and other rappers in the basement of the White House while they were bowling and having parties, where he, you know, did Al Green impressions. He was. Gallivanting all over the country on vacations with Michelle, which, you know, I actually don't begrudge him any of his vacation time. I think every president deserves plenty of time off. They should go to Camp David or their private, you know, resorts or whatever that, you know, you need time off when you do this job. It's a tough job. But at what point are we supposed to say, you know, we got to hold him accountable for something? He blamed his entire first term, the results, everything that happened, he blamed all that on George Bush. And then the second term, he was too busy evolving on things like homosexual unions and, you know, you just you name it. He was too busy evolving on it to handle any of these real problems. And so I, there's not a lot of room on the left for criticizing President Obama. And if you worship someone and raise them up to the level of an idol, that's where you'll be. And if that's you and you're a Christian, check yourself your problem is not with me. Your problem is is it's on the horizon and it's you're dealing with it right now and it's your problem, not mine. But what exactly was he doing that was so much more important than taking one afternoon out to meet with the proper authorities and agency heads to try to say we got to do something about this. People are dying. But maybe it wasn't the right people. Maybe if this epidemic was hitting uh people who live in Brooklyn or Um, Connecticut, he would have been more interested in it. Maybe if it was a bunch of Hollywood elites who were getting struck down by fentanyl overdoses in the thousands, he'd say, well, we got to do something about this. But since it was, you know, mainly focused in areas where it's a pocket here, pocket there, and it wasn't someone he could directly tie to a constituency group, you know, voting base type group for the Democrats. I mean, I'm just wondering if he cared. I have no idea what he felt. But I know what he was doing. He was enriching himself, growing his personal wealth, serving as president, criticizing everybody under the sun for his own mistakes and failures, and contracting the U.S. economy through heavy regulation and really just failed policies, bowing to foreign leaders. I mean, I could go on, but you get the picture here. He wasn't doing a good job. It wasn't his best work. So it's good for uh, Sari Horowitz and, and these others who've done this investigation to get this out there. And it's in the Wall Street Journal. This interview that you just heard, the clip of, she was on CNN on New Day. I, I thought it was pretty interesting to hear them criticizing President Obama about not doing what he needed to do in this area on CNN. <laughs> so, again, um, if you want to call in and talk about anything we've discussed so far this hour, it's 866 963 2037 um, 866 So, I also want to cover there's a couple more things I want to kind of get to. Um, and one of those, I, I see it as another victory State Department removing reproductive rights from the Human Rights Report. Um, this is pushing back against accusations that women's rights have been excised from annual reports on human rights. A senior State Department official said Wednesday that the term reproductive rights has been dropped because some advocates interpret the term as incorporating a right to abortion, even though U.S. administrations of both parties have not done so. So briefing reporters, it was Michael Kozak pointing back to the origins of the language, which is the International Conference on Population and Development in Cairo in 1994 and a Beijing World Conference on Women the following year he quoted then Vice President Al Gore speaking at the National Press Club shortly before leading the U.S. delegation to Cairo as making clear that the U.S. does not seek to establish any international right to abortion. Kozak is also the acting principal deputy assistant secretary in the Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor. And he noted that the final Cairo document stated, quote, any measures or changes related to abortion within the health system can only be determined at the national or local level according to national legislative process. In circumstances where abortion is not against the law, such abortion should be safe. So, um, you know, there's there's no consensus from the United States to seek or obtain, um, you know, the the designation of human right to abortion. And I think it's really super important that the, the white house and all the agencies and the agency heads are very clear about that in their communications with foreign countries and with Americans. Um, Of course we have the whole, you know, Roe v. Wade, it's constitutional, but we don't want our position to be one of promoting abortion. So, you know, just, Oh, fantastic. Okay. So Oh, good. Dennis from Indiana. Hey, Dennis, thanks for calling the show today. Uh Uh-oh, I think we lost him. If you want to call back... Oh, perfect. Susie from North Carolina. Thank you for calling. Hey, thanks for calling.
7: Is this Stacy? Yeah, Stacy. Stacy on the right. Hey. um, It's wonderful to hear your voice on my phone. Um, I have, I wanted to talk about fentanyl and addiction. Um, I have a first cousin who has, has severe rheumatoid arthritis and severe back problems. And after a back surgery, they were unable to alleviate her pain without putting her on fentanyl. And what she didn't know was that how addictive it was. And we looked it up, and we found out that fentanyl was invented for terminal cancer patients because you you just about can't get off fentanyl once you get on. It, mm. You keep requiring more and more and more. Oh wow! And she had a terrible time uh with the system because she's retired and everything. She. Yeah, she had a terrible time getting her doctors to agree to let her go to rehab and be detoxed from fentanyl.
5: Wow. Wow. And So this is, we need better um, information sharing on this. And, and of course, doctors aren't trying to get patients hooked, but there have to be protocols that are implemented to make sure that it's, you know, the drug of last resort. Because thank God your your cousin was able to get off of it. But a lot of families are finding that the their, their family member can't get off. They, they can't kick the habit. Um, thank you so much for calling the show today. Let's go to Barbara from Georgia. Barbara, thank you for calling the show.
7: Hi, Stacey. How Hello. are you today? Doing good. How are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic. and so glad to get through. I, I just want to thank you and American Family Radio for uh, putting that out about President Obama. My family, I, I don't know how to get through to, to them because, um, you know, we're, we're Afro-Americans, we're, we're from Chicago, mm. and they just don't see, and they didn't see for his entire administration all the things he was doing to destroy this nation. Mm. And even now that it's coming out, they still don't get it. And, and, I you know, I'm a big fan on how do you get through to folks like that? Because we have a race of Afro-Americans that— just because the man had dark skin, they want to worship him.
5: I was just so, so disappointed because you. there was, a, you know, Barb. I just needed people to be real about him, the same way we were about the other presidents. I criticized Bush. I have criticized President Trump. Um, I criticized Clinton, and I, I mean, I just I feel like it was okay to criticize him because I didn't worship him. And when we talk about that, people get mad, but it's the truth. People are worshiping. Still to this day, uh, now it's Michelle Obama that everybody's got. You know, they're they're worshiping her because she wrote a book called Becoming. It's just, it's not the right thing to do. Um, it's not smart for us. Um, let's go to Dave in Connecticut. Hey, Dave, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, Stacy. Hello. Oh, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> it's, it's
9: Trucker Dave. I'm glad to get through today. Hey, hey, hey Trucker Dave. Hi, yeah, I've got you on the app. That AFR app is awesome, baby. I can hear you every day
5: now. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks for mentioning that.
9: And you're doing a great job, especially working out of a, a different studio today. Sorry about the power outage. Hope it's back on soon.
5: Oh, me too. I hope so. But I I just love my friends at Bot. Um, they, they were just so awesome. I, I called, and he was like, of course we can help you. Get over here. I was like, I'm coming. I'm coming. Driving over. So uh, it's really a blessing right. to have good let's, friends.
9: Well, hear, let's hear it for the Bot Radio Network.
7: <laughs> yeah.
9: Uh, hey, I have a question uh, you referred a, a few minutes ago to uh, God, family, and country. And I hope I'm not out of line for that uh, I'm a bad guy. I don't think I am, but I like uh, I put God first in everything I do, or at least I try to, and He's always reminding me that I need to. And then when it comes between family and country, I don't know. I mean, my my, uh, my patriotism level sometimes outweighs. I love some members of my family.
5: <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I I do sympathize with you there. I think for me, the reason I say family and then country is because um, we have kids still at home. Uh, but for it, yeah. I think you know it's it's a personal choice. Um, if your kids are bigger, if your kids are adults, you can probably say you know God country family. I think if we're at war, then, you know, it's god country family. Um but I'm I'm always from the mom perspective. The kids are my, you know, they're they're my number 2 job. My husband is my number 1 job and the kids are number 2, but they're they it takes a lot in today's culture. They really need our focus and so I I feel like in our culture today, kids are kind of taking a backseat in some ways and in other ways they're being allowed to dominate in very unhealthy Uh, you know, like kids dominating families, um, the little kids determining what the parents do and all of that. And that's outsized attention to kids, but it doesn't help them grow. And then other kids, they're just like on autopilot. Their parents are barely paying any attention to them at all. That's not good. So everything in balance. And, uh, but I love that patriotism. You know me, I I got the American flag everywhere. Um, I love wearing it like on, on clothes and t-shirts and I'm into it. I'm into being an American. It's good stuff.
9: Amen. God bless you
5: God, All right, you too. And thank you for calling in, Trucker Dave. Okay, so if you are leaving us now, I want to say God bless you from the heartland. Thank you for being with us here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And if you're sticking around, we're going to have one news now, news and information coming up at you next. I'm to give you a couple of places you can go. You can go to, on Facebook, you can go to... Um, Urban Family Talk. We have a page for that with Stacy on the Right show. We have the American Family Radio page, and then American Family Association has a Facebook page as well. Pick one. Pick them all. Hit the like button. And then on Twitter, it's at Stacy on the Right, and also on Instagram. I thought it was so funny yesterday when Instagram went down and Facebook went down at the same time. So everybody was heading over to Twitter, and there were all these memes and little video gifts of people reacting to the fact that they were on Twitter because Facebook and Instagram were down. I thought it was a real weakness moment for Facebook because they bought Instagram to stop Instagram from taking over popularity from Facebook. And by owning both of them and having them on apparently the same network with no redundancy, they had both of their flagship entities down. Now, if you remember earlier in the week, uh, it was Mark Zuckerberg announcing that he wanted to... Basically, WhatsAppify Facebook, turn Facebook into a private encrypted messaging thing where you only speak to people who've given you permission to speak to them and it's direct messaging and it all goes away after 24 hours. Well, imagine if that's what Facebook was after the outage, you know, all day outage the other day. It doesn't sound like a good idea, does it? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not down with it. But what do I know? I'm not in charge of Facebook. All right. Thank you for being with us today. God bless you from the heartland. Citizens, back with you tomorrow.